0: Now uh, let us turn back to the portion we read in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 11. And let us look in verse 26. Then Barnabas departed to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Particularly in that last, last sentence the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. These words in their context and as the Lord enables us. The church at Antioch in in scriptural days in the days of Paul particularly is held up to us as an example of a living Christian church and I would like to look at this portion today therefore as follows three strands of thought first uh, the origins of a church at Antioch then secondly the the an epochal change that took place. And that is suggested probably for us by the words uh, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And then thirdly, some of the features of a Christian church that are exemplified to us in this church at Antioch in the portion we've read. And maybe a word of application at the end, if time permits. And in that order. First, then, the origins of this church at Antioch. Well, the first origin of any living church is supernatural. It is. Uh, called out, each and every member of it is called out of this vanity fear of this world by the spirit of God and through the truth and that was the case in Antioch as it must be in every church as I've said And, by the way, is in an area very much in the news of the present. It's within the present name of it, I forget, but it's now a fifth-rate town of about 5,000 or 6,000 souls. And it's within, I'm not sure if it's Turkey or Syria, but it's within 60, 70 miles of the epicenter of the present earthquake and a great deal of destruction has been done in that township despite the fact that it's so far away but uh, that's by the way a multicultural area and as you find often with multicultural areas and the case in Britain itself today full of sin sinful pleasures prevailed. prevailed. Paid sinful pleasures. Rome brought its own. Romans brought their own. Greeks brought their own. Jews even brought their own. But uh, called out each one who is called out by the Spirit of the truth a new creation in Christ, a miracle of oh. God's Saving grace. And uh, that's what you have with a church. The Greek word is ecclesia, called out. Called out by God to be his people. Now, the spirit calls out through the truth and that can happen sovereignly and without any intermediate, without any mediator, uh, any, 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 anything going in between but generally you find that the Lord acts sovereignly but through means and the means that were used here was the dispersion of uh, Christians of believers from uh, Jerusalem following the martyrdom of Stephen and the cruelty that was uh, imposed upon believers thereafter. And as they dispersed from Jerusalem, they preached the gospel everywhere they went. And we find that particularly there were, where there were, the Lord uses means, he used these means, and prophet, but he probably used instruments also. And some of these evangelists, for example, where uh, they came from Cyprus, and from Cyrene which was in the north of Africa and they came to Antioch and they preached the gospel there and they're unknown by name anonymous but um, the gospel prospered in their hands and there was a great deal of uh, there was a revival you might say the church at Jerusalem took note of this and they sent envoy and envoy Barnabas uh, son of consolation he's known as a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost they sent this man a liberal minded man they sent him down to find out what was happening there just as they had done before in some area and they had sent Philip and uh, well Of us took note of the situation and he decided that a man he had met met with before whom we uh, saul of Tarsus, he went to Tarshish and brought him to that area and the two of them engaged in preaching of the gospel for a whole year in that township and the gospel flourished that's the origins of the church at at at, um, at Antioch. Supernaturally by the Spirit, but through the means of the dispersal of the believers from Jerusalem, and the instruments of uh, human you know, human teachers also, the you know, anonymous evangelists, and the envoy uh, Barnabas, and then Barnabas and Saul together engaging in the preaching of the gospel in their midst, so that what the enemy of the Lord the greatest enemy in dispersing believers from from Jerusalem following the martyrdom of Stephen. His intent was to destroy the whole cause. But that intention was frustrated and instead of uh, diminishing the cause of the Lord, the cause of the Lord prospered. The Lord making even Satan as often is the case to be an instrument in his hands a servant in his hand to fulfill his purposes and we should be encouraged that that is still the case that the Lord is sovereign and even in our own day able in the midst of the darkness to make prosperity arise we are, such, we are a nation we are a people eh, ripe for judgment but oh in the Lord's mercy Right for his measure also. Well, that's something of the origins of the church then there. And then, secondly, this epochal change, this significant epochal change that resulted from the growth of a church at 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 Antioch. And um, that epoch James, is summed up in the words the disciples were first eh, called were, were, were called disciples first at Antioch the Lord raised a banner there over the church and put a new name upon it and that new name was over the banner the name of Christians that had never been there before The name before had been the Jewish Church, but here it is now, a new name given Christians. The Lord again sovereignly doing it, but using means. What means were used in this case? Well, the expansion of the church at uh, Antioch. We read in verse 19, I think. one of these verses uh, I haven't brought my glasses with me today, my proper glasses so I'm sorry I won't be able to give you the exact verse Uh, one of the verses says that that when they preached these anonymous preachers from Cyprus and Cyrene, they preached to Jews only that was the first part of it into the synagogues and to Jews only and then when uh, Barnabas came we understand that the gospel stretched out beyond just Jews, well, it, it, it stretched out it stretched out, it still to Jews, but to Greek-speaking Jews. And they're known, they're read, your Bible speaks of them as Hellenists, the authorised version, Grecians, but the same thing, Greek-speaking Jews. But then when Paul came along with Barnabas and the preached there for a whole year, It stretched out beyond just Jews and Greek-speaking Jews. It stretched out to Gentiles, to Greek Gentiles. The Bible doesn't say that in what we've read, but if you look at Galatians 2 and verse 11, you read there of uh, how Paul rebuked Peter. You remember when men came from Jerusalem to see what was happening uh, Peter had removed himself from uh, partaking in table hospitality with these, with these with these Gentiles you don't need to take your time up with that, the important thing is to note the table hospitality had been taking place with the Gentiles and if the table hospitality was taking place with Gentiles, surely gospel hospitality was taking place there also. The church had stretched not just to Jews, not just to Greek speaking Jews, but to Gentiles. And that was a new thing. It, well, it wasn't quite new, but it was it was came to a it came to a bigger development here than anywhere else. You could say that it had begun with Stephen and his teaching. You could say that it had begun with um, what had happened with Philip coming to some area, particularly going down to uh, the desert area, uh, to the Ethiopian eunuch. And you can see it developing further with, the <coughs> with the Barnabas maybe, but particularly when Barnabas and Paul were together to the Gentiles also and that becoming when the, when the church then when, when, when the church when the Church sent Barnabas and Paul on a mission well that mission ultimately was to be to the Gentiles also the gospel stretching out beyond the bounds of Judaism to Gentiledom, and that was an of change see and that required what name will we give this new sect as they called it can we call them Jewish church as was the case before because no because it's gone beyond just that and that necessitated the new name and that's how the name Christian came about the Lord raised up this banner with the name Christian sovereignly but through means probably that name was given by those who were enemies of the cause of Christ it's unlikely it was given by the believers themselves they kept to names like uh, and believers. They spoke of themselves as men of the way. Uh, They spoke of themselves as saints. But you don't find them speaking of themselves as Christians. Only on two other occasions in the New Testament is the word Christian used. So it wasn't the believers themselves who gave that name. It certainly wouldn't be Jews. Because Christ means Messiah and for the Jews to give the name Messiah to Christ no, 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 no they still won't do it today they're awaiting the Messiah so it it would have undoubtedly been given by enemies of the cause, probably by Romans probably by uh, unbelieving Greeks, we don't know but almost certainly by those who were opposed to Christ as a mock term as a nickname that that name was given you see here again this is the lord raising the banner you see sovereignly overruling that contemptuous use of the name the believers themselves accepted it privately at first as i said the name is only used twice on, on two other occasions in the New Testament and on one of them undoubtedly uh, used by Agrippa in a mocking way also almost oh, to be a Christian and, but the believers accepted it privately and by the beginning of the 2nd century we know from history it had been widely accepted as a non term, widely and proudly accepted and it is a term of honour isn't it the Lord raised up this name as a name of honour despite what the enemies of the cause intended by it what is it a Christian is a Messiah it's the name name, based based on the name Christ it's based on the name Messiah and uh, it's based on the anointed one. Is the meaning of Messiah, the meaning of Christ. And just as Christ Himself is the anointed one, so the believer is anointed with the same Spirit that dwelt in Christ beyond measure when He was in this world, with us in a measure, but the same measure or oh, what on it. that the Spirit of the Lord should dwell in the heart. Of such as I am, to lead me into a new country, the country of truth, as it is in the one who is truth. Not to come to speak of himself, but to lead me into that day, into the truth as it is in Christ. What honor indeed. And so, you see, a sovereign epoch change took place with this development of a church at Antioch. And now thirdly and finally some features of a Christian church of a living Christian church that are exemplified to us in this church at Antioch. Well the first of these is undoubtedly Christ-centered preaching. Isn't that 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 was what the enemy saw? It was preaching that was centered upon Christ and that's why they gave them the name Christians. Mockingly, yes, but that's what they saw. It was Christ that was the focus of the attention of the preaching and of the teaching. And that must always be the focus of our living Christian church. Christ in the glory of his passion, as God and man in two distinct natures, and one person for Christ in the effectiveness of his finished work, as the one who took our nature and in our nature fulfilled all righteousness in the Roman place of his people. Christ in the sufficiency and the suitability of his blood-bought grace. As the one who became dead in our nature, but is no longer dead, but risen triumphantly over sin, death, and Satan. That was the focus. The enemy the enemies scoffed at it. Oh, he's just preaching someone who's a dead, a bogus messiah as far as they were concerned. this was the focus of the preaching. Christ was the passion of the believers in Antioch. Christ must be the passion of the believers in Stoneway. Christ must be all-in-all all Christ-centered teaching. Looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ looking for that day when they will be caught up in the air to be with them raptured with them and he coming out to meet them the bride, that is the church and he the bridegroom coming out to meet them to bring them into the consummation of that marriage forever and ever, they shall be brought with joy and mirth on every side into the palace of the king there they shall abide Christ centred preaching that requires of course also the preaching of our need as sinners That Christ is there as the only mediator between God and his holiness and us in our depravity Christ centred preaching was a free feature Another feature that you find in the preaching of uh, this Christian church was the brotherly care that was there for other parts of the church that were needy. Remember what we read about Agabus coming down to uh, that area, uh, being a prophet of the Lord, and prophesying of a famine that was going to affect that area. And they, that became the case, particularly with the mother church at Jerusalem. We don't know how, them, how that uh, famine came about, how that uh, neediness came about in Jerusalem. Maybe because of the same same thing, the cause that caused the, the same cause that caused the dispersal of believers from Jerusalem after the death of, uh, of, of Stephen. But the fact is, the famine was there. And you find the church at uh, Antioch, this new church, this living church, preparing a collection to help Mm. those in need. That must always be a feature of the living church also. Care for one another. Yes, it goes beyond... The bounds of the church itself uh, there should be help for example going to uh, the earthquake area in Greece and Turkey at the moment but nevertheless charity beginning at home and the cause of Christ being supported that must be a feature another feature of the living church is the care for outreach You find it, the mother church at Jerusalem, notice how it was careful having heard of uh, believers at at, 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 um, preaching of the gospel being prospered at at, at Samaria, how they sent Philip there, and a revival developed. Uh, You find this, and of course you have here the mother church sending an envoy down to Antioch. Barnabas, a well-chosen envoy, mindful man full of the Holy Ghost mm-hmm. and, of, and of faith. And uh, he, r- reporting back, finding, finding what was theirs, there is growth, and he, oh, wisely choosing someone else to come with him, he had already met up with Saul of Tarsus, and bringing Saul there also. This missionary concern And that must always be a concern also. And then notice, uh, as you go beyond that, a missionary outreach to the world, not just in a a wider sense. The Church choosing, the Holy Ghost choosing for them indeed. As we read in chapter 13, uh, the Holy Ghost sending calling upon them to choose two men and under the leadership of the Holy Ghost they chose Paul and uh, Barnabas to go on a tour a, mission, a, world, a worldwide tour you might say it, in that those days to bring the gospel in a wider sphere a missionary concern must be there in the living church these are some of the features of a living church. Uh, to see if I have anything else to add to that. Uh, spirit-dependent prayer about it also. And you see that particularly in chapter 13. The very few verses we write in 13. Know <coughs> that in the church that it was a Antioch. There were certain prophets and teachers, and um, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, "No separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." And um, the Holy Spirit said that, and that may very well that that's, all that certainly happened independently. But nowadays, when that happens, it can happen independently. The Spirit can say that still. But usually it is through prayerfulness of the church the church meeting in church church assemblies uh, the church meeting in house meetings and praying praying for the leadership of the Holy Spirit through the truth of course to guide them as to what direction the church should take in the place where they are set. now that must be the case with your friends in Stornoway a prayerful dependence upon the spirit, seeking to know what is the mind of the spirit in the truth to guide you as regards growth in the township of Stornoway Maybe independently on your own, as a body, Reformed Presbyterian, or maybe alongside others. Working together as servants of the Lord, in dependence upon the Spirit for guidance and leadership, and working with that goal in mind, that he might have the preeminence in all things. And then thirdly, and finally, eh, I spoke of some features. eh, No, we already covered that. Another feature of the Living Church is the glorious hope. The glorious hope that they have. Christ must be our passion, our focus, and hasn't He not opened the way? And um, believer, eternal life has begun in your soul. It's not just something future, it has already begun. But what has begun? Oh, it's going to flourish. I already spoke of that today of the rapture. And the church shall be raised up, in the day of judgment, I believe, but others take a different view, raised up as the bride, to meet with the bridegroom in the air, to be brought into his palaces, into that uh, feast, into that supper of the Lamb from which there shall never be an arise, let us go hence, to be with the Lord, which is far better. Or to be in Christ. Or to be in Christ, or to have this hope. Or the awesomeness of being found at the last out of Christ, without this hope. As those to whom the words must be depart can I cry out unto you To look to the one who is still saying, Come unto me, all ye that. Day. Sinners and creatures such as we are, sparing not the darling of thy bosom, giving him up, and he giving up himself in my Roman place. Oh, blessed be thy name, that it ever came into the mind of the triune Jehovah. That even one sinner should be spared, should be saved, and that at such great cost. We look to the one who loved his own from all eternity. We look to the one who came in the miracle of the Incarnation lovingly. We look to the one who gave himself a sacrifice for many. We thank thee that that sacrifice was not just through gritted teeth and not just uh, not just in letter only but that he gave himself in spirit. And Paul could say, and every believer indeed can say, he loved me and gave himself for me. We thank thee that that love is not changed. We thank thee that when he begins the good work, he will continue it. We pray that we would be working out our salvation, our sanctification, with fear and trembling knowing that it is he that works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Receive us in our worship. Cleanse it of anything that was amiss and uh, bring it under the sprinkling of the shed blood. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> Psalm 48 speaks of the church and uh, the ramparts of covenant uh, defences that belong to God. The believer is to take note of taking note of the, the God of the covenant who sustains us who originates her and to sustains her and to will preserve her and keep her to be his own. Psalm forty-eight from verse from verse twelve, from verse from verse uh, what are they looking to do? Ten. Ten. From verse ten. O Lord, according to Thy name, through all the earth Thy praise, and Thy right hand, O Lord, is full of righteousness always. And notice these words: Walk about Zion, and go round and mark at bulwarks well. That bulwarks are in the God of the covenant. Consider ye her palaces and mark at bulwarks well, that ye may tell posterity. For this God doth abide, O God, forevermore. Wonderful words. He will even unto death us guide. These words, O Lord, according to thy name. O Lord, according to thy name.